Hey, well, welcome to the Jewish Road Podcast. My name is Matt Davis, and look who's here with me. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm Ron. I'm uh, still here. I'm All still right. kicking. <laughs> well, good. There's the vital sign check for us for uh, today. And guess what? It's just you and I today. Yeah. We've had a lot of interviews and a lot of people coming in here and going out of here. And today, nobody wanted to talk to us, so it's just yeah. us here. How do you feel about that? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> you know, this is like just every other day. That's okay. good. Um, hey, we want to talk about a couple things. Uh, there's a lot of movement. Uh, the, the world narrative is in about a thousand directions. And uh, what we want to talk about is Jewish identity. Uh, that who, who are we as the Jewish people? Uh, what is it that, that we believe about ourselves, but also as everybody else is looking at us as the Jewish people, what do they see? Yeah. Who do they say we are? That's right. Yeah. Um, so interesting story. Uh, Marilee, my wife, uh, she is picking up uh, the kids yesterday from school and literally right across the street from our house, there's somebody, a, a woman uh, on the corner and she has a Palestinian flag draped over her shoulders. She's wearing a mask and she's holding a sign up high above her head, very kind of crowded intersection there. And the sign says one Holocaust does not justify another. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right across the uh-huh. street from my house in Lexington, from, from Kentucky. From your house? Yeah. From my house. This is not like even downtown Lexington. It's across the street from my house. Now, the story, if, if, if you hear that, one Holocaust does not justify another, if that needs explanation for you, the, the narrative that is out there right now is that what is happening in Gaza, Israel is decimating and annihilating uh, the Gazans, the, the, the Palestinians who are there. They're, they're murdering the children and the women and, and everybody, and to the point that it's become another Holocaust. That is the narrative out there. Yeah, well, that's the misinformation that's out there. Yeah, and so the, the, the problem with all of this is that the story goes that Israel is the aggressor, Israel is the occupier, and really, uh, you know, what, what you see across the, the, the narrative, across all the news channels and governments, and everybody is saying that we need a two-state solution. And I, I, I just keep banging my head against the wall because we've offered this. Yeah. The, well, didn't we even have a two-state solution, supposedly, in 2005 when yes. we handed Gaza over to... Who did we hand it over to? Well, the, the, <laughs> well was that? At, at that point, it was it was the Palestinian Authority. Yeah, and and so that I mean, really, what people don't understand, and and really, it's just uh, a, a lack of knowledge of the history of the world. I mean, you you put a shovel down in most parts in Israel, and you're going to find remnants of the Jewish people because that is our ancestral homeland. Right, going back thousands of years. But even there in northern Gaza, there were Israelis. There were Jewish people there in northern Gaza living there. And in 2005, the decision was made. Ariel Sharon says, we're going to get everybody up and out of here. And we're going to move you out of this Palestinian territory and into Israel proper. And here you go, Palestinians, you have a place that you can call your own. And, and it wasn't with a lot of joy that the Jewish people uh, relocated themselves. No, a lot of resistance against their own government. Yeah, not, not only did the Jewish people leave, they dug up the graves of people, Jews who had died there and were buried yeah. and brought those into Israel as well. Right. And so th- this is not, and I'm not saying, well, they gave them that little chunk of land and that's it. I mean, this is, this goes back historically. You can, you know, you have the partition plan in 1947. All the way through Arafat, you know, there, there were jokes made that he just said, no, no, no. He was getting pulled into the negotiating room. And, but this story of we need land uh, has, has been 
uh, part of the narrative. And now today in in self-defense, because there was an attack on, on October 7th and 1,200 plus uh, Jewish people and Arabs were killed there in southern Israel along the Gaza envelope, um, in, in, in its own defense, it's interesting to me, you know, Israel's retaliating and there are, uh, I don't know if you saw the report, but, uh, you know, we have 136 hostages right. that are still in Gaza, but even uh, New York Times, they reported today that Israeli intelligence believes that uh, 20% of those are confirmed dead. So 20% of those 136 are dead. And they believe on top of that, there's even another 20 that are dead beyond that. Yeah, so 30 to 50 people are not there. Yes. Yeah. 30 to 50 of the 136 that are remaining. While, while there are negotiations with Qatar and everybody else of like, there'll be a ceasefire if we get all the hostages back. Um, we'll give you the hostages back if we get a ton of, you know, Palestinian prisoners release. There's all yeah. of this stuff going on. And in the midst of it, um, Israel is trying to eliminate the enemy who happens to be hiding behind their own women and children. Yeah. And everybody forgets the fact that there was a ceasefire on October 6th. That's right. And, and then all of a sudden, the whole trajectory of the entire world changed the next day. Yeah, and I would say that war is an ugly and horrible thing, but you even look at, from a United States perspective, um, we just had three soldiers that were killed uh, a week ago, two weeks ago uh, in Jordan. And after 165, 170 attacks on our soldiers and bases, you know, all Syria and Iraq, uh, all over the Middle East, we have all of these attacks that were intended to kill our soldiers that were just not successful, but they... They brutally injured and maimed, and you know we have guys who are still in uh, critical condition. But they finally like had an attack that that was successful from their point of view. Killed three of our soldiers, and what are we doing? We are going after them, and we are attacking, um, right? And there is a retribution, there is a retaliation because there's been life that's been taken, and we want to stop the evil. That is what Israel is trying to do. Right. Right. And there has never, I don't, I can't think of any other time in history where the, a country has been attacked and then for defending themselves, uh, they have been told they need to back off and cease fire. Right. So here's, here's where we want to get off because we, we could go on, on this for a long time and we've probably yeah. already talked about enough of this, but what I, what I think is important where we want to go with this today is this idea of Jewish identity, um, that the story and the narrative, it's kind of interesting that we are living in this time that you've been talking about. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, you said this country, this world is going to hell in the handbasket. And like, now you can say, I was right. You said that when you were a little kid. Yeah. I remember like, you know, when, when mom was nursing me, I was one years old, just took my first steps. And this is the stuff that you're telling me. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I was, uh, I was trying to, uh, get into you the fact that you can believe in Jesus and be Jewish and because you saw part of the family wasn't and part of the family was and, uh, you know, just you were massively confused as opposed to me. I didn't have that problem growing up because uh, we didn't have Jesus. Yeah, so let, let's let talk about this because there are, there are a couple of perspectives. If the narrative and the story about the Jewish people in the world today, um, we start to see the fruition of this, it's its really this old and hatred, ancient hatred. 
we have the 1930s and the 1940s where the whole world shifted. And we thought, man, I, I think I grew up in this confidence thinking, well, that's never going to happen again. It was so awful. And there's so much history that like the world will never turn on the Jewish people again, which I, I, that, that's what I thought. And that's what I believed, even against the backdrop of what I know to be biblically true. But still, uh, we, have, we have this narrative uh, against the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people are trying to figure out what's going to happen to us. Uh, there's a longing for the Messiah to come, and we're trying to figure out who are we. And really, our only hope in all of this uh, for, for believers, for followers of Jesus, and for the Jewish people is that we need the Messiah to come. Right. That That's... he is... Sar Shalom, Yeshua Sar Shalom, our salvation, our Prince of Peace. Mm -hmm. That is our only hope through all of this. Right. And that's a very difficult prospect for Jewish people even today. Uh, although there are more Jews in the world who now believe that Jesus is the Messiah, it, it was always very, it's been very dis difficult. It is now, and it was for me uh, growing up. Yeah. So you, you grew up in, uh, your, your parents grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home. Yeah, they and, were both from Orthodox families. And, and what does that mean for somebody who doesn't well, know what that means? Well, I mean, they they were conversant with scriptures, with the traditions of the synagogue and of Jewish life. Uh, they kept kosher. Um, you know, I, I grew up, my parents grew up in that. And then the first few years of my life, uh, I had that as kind of a backdrop uh, of to who we were. Uh, but we kind of moved away from that to more conservative uh, Judaism. And so uh, we, uh, we were like that. Uh, uh, and then when we uh, left New York, uh, everything changed. So, um, you know, at, at some point, uh, we all have to connect with the Jewish Jesus. Yeah. So you you moved from New York to California, and you would say that you moved from your 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 parents, your grandparents were. We went from Orthodox to conservative. What's the difference between those two? You would say. Well, uh, actually, when when the Jewish people came to America, I mean, almost all of them were Orthodox. Uh, it was Orthodox Judaism, uh, but a lot of them reacted to that and didn't like the Orthodox. Judaism, so they kind of went the other way, and that formed that created Reform Judaism. Everybody thinks it went from Orthodox to Conservative to Reform, but a lot of people didn't like the Orthodox and didn't like the Reform, and that's what created the Conservative Judaism in the middle, kind of in, in between. Yeah, middle ground, and that that's kind of where we were. Um, so, uh, you know, that's that that's kind of the life I grew up in, but. Once we uh, left New York and uh, we moved to uh, sunny Southern California, you know, I always like to say that uh, we immigrated from Brooklyn to the United States. <laughs> but uh, we, came, we came into uh, California when I was still a young kid in elementary school. And uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the Jewish people made that trek out West also. So we kind of had a built-in Jewish community, but it wasn't, you know, predominantly Jewish and in our neighborhood like it was in New York. Right. So you go to synagogue sometimes, you, you went to Hebrew school, you had uh, your bar mitzvah when you were 13, um, but your your identity as a Jew, it, it was more ethnic. 
I'm Jewish rather than a religious practice that was part of your everyday life. Right. Uh, God was not really a part of it. Uh, uh, just our, our ethnic identity was more part of it. And uh, so when, you know, when I was presented with a credible witness regarding the claims uh, of the Messiahship of Jesus, of Yeshua, that I had to seriously consider... Uh, I was able to look at the Bible in a way that I never had, if I hadn't, as if I had never read it before, which I hadn't. And uh, that that witness, actually, I should say, came from my mom. Um, she became a believer before me, and uh, we, uh, you know, as as a result, uh, you know, I was I was not overwhelmed by a lot of religious doctrine and tradition. But in considering these claims of the Messiahship of Jesus from a prophetic uh, word out of the Old Testament, I was really looking to understand and discern God's heart and his message to us. So I was, uh, I was struck with a sense of this prophetic message uh, was as, as I read it. And, and the thing that was read to me out of the scripture was Isaiah 53, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And... When I I saw that there was there was a sense that there was somebody outside of our time domain that was giving us this information and it was wow if if all of this is true what does it mean well and for for the Jewish people this is another brand or category or flavor of Judaism right this does not fall into the Orthodox the conservative the Reformed um, Jews just simply don't believe in Jesus the second that you believe in Jesus. You've broken the Jewish mold, the category. It puts you outside of the Jewish category, and now you're no longer Jewish. You're now a Christian. Right. Uh, and so, you know, what do, what do I have to do having come to this conclusion? I mean, I'm Jewish. Do I have to join a church? Um, uh, luckily, uh, my first, you know, uh, year of understanding and learning the Scripture at that point was through a Jewish group, Shalom Scripture Studies. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, that, that set me on a journey to understand the Jewish Jesus and that Jewish road that just leaped off the pages of both, both the Old and the New Testaments. When I finally looked at the New Testament for the first time, I looked at Matthew 1.1 and uh, the first verse of the New Testament said that uh, this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I looked at that and I said to myself, if that's not a Jew, I don't know who is. Right. So we, we have, we have Jewish people are looking at people like you who are Jewish, but you now believe in Jesus. Um, you, what'd you call yourself back then? Jewish Christian, Hebrew well, Christian, completed yeah, Jew. Yeah. Back in the seventies, uh, you know, we were Hebrew Christians, uh, messianic Jewish movement hadn't really taken off yet. Right. So this, this identity keeps getting kind of pricked at and we're trying to figure out, well, who are you now that once you believe in Jesus, but really the, the Jewish thought towards us has always been, well, you're no longer Jewish. Um, you're right. now in the other category, right. right? You switch jerseys, right? You join the other team, right? So, you know, we 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 try to say this, and I think what people love about the TV show The Chosen is they get to see Jesus in his Jewishness, and most Jewish people don't realize just how Jewish Jesus was, and neither do most Christians, right? Like, yeah. 
looking at mm. Jesus, we, we've, we've stripped him of his Jewishness. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as far as growing up Jewish, coming from New York and uh, then living in California, um, th- there was not a sense that uh, Jesus was Jewish. I mean, I, I had Christian friends uh, when we finally got to California. A lot of them were Catholic. And uh, it seemed to me that we had, I had more in common with uh, my Catholic friends than the Protestant friends. Uh, but of course, that was probably because I, I, when I peeked into my friend's church, um, it, it was filled with all of what seemed to be the tradition uh, for them, like we had tradition for us. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they had candles all over the place. And I said, well, that's, we have candles. And uh, it looked at the front of the wall and there was a giant cross with a man on it. And, you know, I, that, that wasn't for me, but we had, we had our ark with the Torah in it in the front. And uh, so, you know, I mean, there was a certain ritual life that they had and we had. And so we kind of got along and we didn't ever delve into religion at all. Right. So speaking of religion, there's been a big change now, let's say over the last, you know, couple generations, 40 years, and we have fewer and fewer young Americans that want to have anything to do with organized religion. The The study that came out 10 years ago is that the, the rise of the nuns, not N-U-N-S, the nuns who, who, you know, like Julie Andrews and Sound of Music, not those nuns, but right. the nuns of people who have no religious affiliation whatsoever, that middle is growing. And... What 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 that has what we've seen is that there's just been an exodus. There's a, a lack of trust in institutional organized religion, and people just don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, uh, they have been leaving religion in droves. I mean, for the most part, children, especially grandchildren of my generation, that have basically abandoned Christianity. And the same is true for the Jewish people. Uh, they've abandoned Judaism. Uh, to the extent that churches are shrinking in attendance, the same is happening in the synagogue. And uh, it's not just a, a matter of people being too busy to attend services. I mean, it's, there's a deeper you know, uh, reason for all of this. Uh, I think there's an exodus from organized religion that's taking place uh, for some good reasons. And uh, the Jewish people are making an exodus from the synagogue. Uh, I think people are, are really looking for meaning and purpose in their lives, but they don't find it in religion. And especially now, this this generation, I mean, my grandparents were immigrants into the United States, came through Ellis Island, they came legally. And, um, you know, we settled in Brooklyn and we lived our lives there. Um, and, you know, I think Jewish people find that the messages that are being preached today um, are, you know, just really kind of watered down um, and feel-good philosophy, and they they don't contain uh, the things that they think are needful in their lives for the culture that they're living in now. It's a different culture. Yeah, I, I just worked with a, a, a Jewish group trying to reach out to Jewish youth. Uh, they're not believers, but the idea is that they are calling the the younger Jewish generation to come back to the way um, because many of them have just mm-hmm. gotten burned out on the whole thing. And they're saying, come back. And we want you to know that there can be a, a rich life that is walking with Mashiach, that is walking with um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. 
Um, but most youth are, are not feeling that. They, they, they look at their parents and their grandparents and they're, they're saying, this is, this is dry, this is ritualistic, this is organized, and it's the same thing over and over again in Hebrew. Yeah, and in addition to that, uh, you know, we have a whole generation growing up that has been brought to a place in, in our culture and in our country of affluence and uh, maybe apathy and has really assimilated. Uh, and so that, uh, you know, any, any kind of connection to God has been dismissed uh, or at least numbed here. So um, it's not the same. Yeah, well, the, the Jewish people have always been uh, the people of the book. We've been the writers, the authors of the book, but also the keepers of the book. And uh, we've gotten away from that. And and not it's not only the Jewish people, uh, it, it's the people in the churches. We just don't look or read or study the Bible like we used to. We don't read it like we used to. And when we read it, we're looking at it through our own lens, of our own cultural bias. So it's a very American story. How does this impact me? Rather than what was going on here, what's prescriptive and what's descriptive. That we, you know, one of those topics that we talk about in, in seminary. But um, really, uh, going into the beginning of the 20th century, most Jewish people were Orthodox, right? Yeah, well, they, they were. I mean, my grandparents were Orthodox uh, coming over here. Um, and that was the case for most Jews. As I said, my, my parents grew up in an Orthodox home. They grew up in a kosher home. Uh, but today, about 15% of the Jewish people are Orthodox. Um, most of them are remaining, who remain Jewish, the people they hold on to secular values, uh, you know, very few of their children attend synagogue. Uh, so for me, uh, this return to the Jewish Jesus came through my introduction within the Messianic Jewish movement, and it was there that I was able to begin putting together pieces of the puzzle uh, of my own spiritual journey. And I discovered that there, there were people who loved Jesus and who also loved being Jewish. So we have this exodus of the Jewish people coming out of the synagogue. They don't want to be a part of it. We have an exodus of Christians coming out of the church, not wanting to be part of that. But in these last days, I think that God wants to do something else. Uh, not just with the church, uh, but with the Jewish people um, who have been part of their synagogues. And, and really, the, the whole reason we started this whole thing was we want to help Christians understand the Jewishness of Jesus and the Jewish roots of their faith. But it's not just to end it there. If all we did was just to help Christians make sense of the Old Testament and connect some of this stuff, their roots, that, that, that's not a, it has to be so that they can reach out to the Jewish people so that they can make sense of their Jewish Messiah. Right, so they can, so the Jewish people can make sense out of Jesus. Uh, you know, we, we never had any problem holding, problem holding on to our ethnic identity. You know, even I held on to that, uh, but Jesus was not a part of that ethnic identity. Uh, I knew he was, Jews, he was Jewish, but the extent of my understanding was that a Jewish boy started a new religion and he called it Christianity and it was completely different from the values and traditions that we had. So after a while, there was no visible sense of Jesus the Jew. He didn't look Jewish at all anymore. Right. And so part of what we're trying to do here is we have to put him back into his Jewish garb. Yeah. Uh, for the, you know, from the time I was a kid when I was very young, uh, 
my mother told me, uh, with regard to Jesus, he's not for you. And so, you know, as I grew up and, uh, you know, grew older and moved uh, out of high school and college, and, you know, the, those words always rang in my ears, he's not for you. And so, uh, you know, my ethnic identity was solid, and it was solid, separated from Jesus, who was the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. So you, you started looking, and, and the one th character in the Bible that you talk about all the time, all the time, is Joseph. Uh, why, why is Joseph uh, an important figure for us in this conversation? Well, I, I think Joseph, you know, represents such a picture of, uh, you know, what God's intent is in, in terms of bringing uh, a redeemer to his people. Uh, and I believe in these last days, God wants to do something else with the church and the Jewish people. And so, as you said, we want, we want to help Christians better understand the Jewishness of Jesus and their roots in the faith so they can help Jews uh, understand and make sense out of Jesus. But that means we have to put him back into his Jewish garb. Uh, for the longest time, I didn't recognize Jesus as a Jew because he didn't look Jewish anymore. And as I have gone through and studied and even taught in the, the life of Joseph, uh, there was a point when Joseph was sold into Egypt uh, by his brothers. He became, uh, you know, pretty much a slave in Egypt and, until he was brought up to be second in charge under Pharaoh. And, you know, for a long time, I didn't recognize Jesus as Jewish, but there's an incident that happens when there's a famine in the land and Joseph's family have to come from Canaan into Egypt to get food and Joseph sees them coming in. This is 20 years later, and he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Right, because he's not he, he's not wearing his coat of many colors, right? He, he yeah. is now, he looks Egyptian. He no longer looks Jewish. He probably had a headdress. He probably had makeup on. He spoke Egyptian. Right. Uh, he didn't look Jewish at all, and so they, they didn't recognize him. And, you know, we have the same problem uh, Jewish people do when they look at Jesus. He does not look Jewish anymore. Right. And so that, you know, becomes a major problem uh, for, for Jewish people to recognize the Jewishness of the one who came to redeem them. And, uh, you know, Joseph had a new name. He had new clothes. He just looked different. And so... Uh, he, he was just like Jesus looks different to us as Jews. Uh, Joseph looked different to his brothers. He was unrecognizable. Okay, but there are a lot of uh, parallels between who Joseph was and Jesus uh, when we look at the typology of Joseph, right? So there are a few things that stand out. Number one, um, Joseph, uh, we find that he is the shepherd of his father's sheep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We see him in Genesis 37. And he's out there and he's tending to, to the flock and he's out there and Jesus makes some statements. He says, I am, am the great shepherd, right? And he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They know my voice. Yeah. And he was actually uh, being sent to find his brothers uh, when, uh, you know, when they saw him. He, he was the favorite son of his father and the brothers knew it. And when they saw him coming, uh, 
he was just going out to check on him and report back to his father. And they hated him and they wanted to kill him. So he was betrayed by his brothers. Interestingly, uh, they wanted to kill the only one who would be able to redeem them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's another type there in Joseph, in the life of Joseph. Uh, And, you know, from that point on, he was, as we said, he was taken into Egypt. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, much later in the story that uh, he and his brothers were reunited when they recognized him and who he was. And uh, all the things that were prophesied came true. Uh, And the same is going to happen with our Messiah, Yeshua. Uh, Ultimately, he is going to return, uh, but there's going to be very difficult times. And uh, the Jewish people in the process of that, I believe, are going to look toward him. Uh, Zechariah tells us that they are going to look unto him whom they have pierced, and they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. you have this really incredible tense scene that takes place. I think it's is it Genesis 45 where the brothers are there and they're standing mm-hmm. there in front of Joseph and Joseph is able to pick them out. He knows, he recognizes this gangly crew of, of men, the ones who betrayed him, and he sees his brothers, he knows his brothers, and his brothers are looking at him and they don't know who he is. They don't know that within the, the power of his command, his voice, uh, that, that they will be saved. Um, but so, so they don't reach out and they don't, they don't call to him. No, uh, they don't know who he is. They, they first get an inkling when they have been sent back to uh, their father Jacob and then they have to go back to Egypt. Uh, and when they come back to Egypt uh, with the things that Joseph required of them, uh, namely bring, bringing Benjamin, uh, he ordered them to come in and dine with them, and he set them around the table in the order, in their birth order, hmm. which how would we know that? Hmm. And it was shortly after that that he divul- divulged himself and said to them, I'm Joseph, your brother. Yeah. And so and it's going to be the same thing. I think uh, Yeshua is going to come back one day, and he's going to say, I'm Yeshua, your Messiah. Yeah, he's going to sit down the 12 tribes and he's going to say, I- I'm the one that you did not recognize. Yeah. Um, I, not only am I the one who was going to come, uh, but I also came. And it's going to be that point where our Jewish people are going to finally recognize their Messiah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, our friend David Hofbrand uh, wrote a really great book on the Jewish Jesus And uh, just a short quote from his book, uh, he says, we've inherited this revised picture of Jesus, so we don't really question it. We need to uncover the original and true representation because if we want to know, present, and represent Jesus properly, it's vital that our picture of him is accurate. It's not a matter of adding a layer of Jewish culture, but of uncovering a truer picture of Jesus. Oh, that's good. Good yeah, job, that, David. Yeah, that's David. Yeah. David Hofbrand. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that is what we in the church, those who are already followers of Jesus, that is what we need to be doing, yeah. is we need to set Jesus into his proper 
context, it is a revealing of who he really is. It's one of the reasons that right now in this season, we're going throughout all over the place and we're we're talking about Messiah in the Passover. We're talking about this final Passion Week and, and who Jesus reveals himself to be, even to the disciples in this Passover meal. Uh, but this is the role of the church in these last days is to be able to reveal Jesus for who he is. Yeah, and that, that is definitely what has to happen. And in order to do that, we have to have an accurate picture of who he is. Uh, you know, it's, in, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that we need to resist doing is contextualizing uh, the gospel for the Jewish people. Paul already contextualized the gospel for the Gentiles. We don't really need a recontextualization of it for the Jews. We just simply need to restore it. And as David Hofbrand has said, uh, uncover the truer picture of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. The the reason that we want to make sure that this is clear is uh, that today our people are missing it. And it's it's not just painful to watch what is happening in Israel today. It's not just painful to look at the accusations that are being thrown out there to see people across the street from my house that are saying that the Holocaust is is happening again and that one Holocaust doesn't justify another. Uh, but but the, the heart cry is for our people to know their Messiah, to recognize him now before he comes later. And if we can do that to reveal who he is to the people, um, that, that the Messiah would be their hope because there's coming a day uh, where though we might have confidence in the superiority and the power of the IDF and Israel and their intelligence agencies and all of the stuff that they have going for them now, it is not always going to be this way. No, uh, there, there is coming a day when uh, so many nations are going to be gathered against Israel that they are not going to be able to win that battle. Uh, but the Bible tells us that the Lord will win that battle for them in much the same way that uh, he won it for them when they were coming out of Egypt at the Red Sea. So it's not as if God is unable to deliver his people. He delivers them constantly. Um, but that is, you know, we want to get the message through to the Jewish people that their Messiah has come and he's coming back. Yeah. And so that that is that is our heart. Um, as we're going to wrap up here, uh, that is the motive of our hearts in this season is to be able to go out. Uh, and I know that, that many of you are listening and you're thinking like, well, I need more of this. How do I, how do I do this? I don't know these connections. How do we reveal the Jewishness of Jesus? And I'd say that one of the best ways that we can do that is to do a Passover Seder, um, to walk through uh, that Passion Week. Uh, and it really starts uh, when, when Jesus gets on a donkey on the top of the Mount of Olives and he makes that descent down and that Passion Week, uh, he goes about proving that he is the lamb who was worthy to be slain, eventually leading up to his death and Feast of First Fruits, his resurrection. But we get to tell that story over the course of a meal, and we get to share that with church communities, uh, house groups, small groups, and we're really going all over the country. And so that would be a first invitation uh, for, for people because our Jewish people, they, they don't know Jesus in that context. 
No, and they need to see him uh, as he was revealed in type uh, throughout the Old Testament. And, you know, when uh, I think maybe when we get that truer picture of Jesus, uh, then we won't hear mothers uh, saying uh, so much he's not for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, Well, thank you for listening. Um, Here at the Jewish Road, we are trying to help uh, Christians make sense of the roots of their faith. We're also trying to help the Jewish people make sense of Jesus. And uh, if that is something that you have a heart's desire to do, you can reach out to us and you can say, hey, we'd love to have you come out. Um, We'll be all over the country over the next couple months. And so... Uh, If that's for a Passover Seder or just to teach a Sunday gathering or midweek gathering, we're happy to do that. We are also a 501c3 nonprofit. We're crowdfunded by a worldwide tribe of people who say, I love what you're doing and we want to make sure that you can keep doing it. And so uh, if you are are led to be giving towards the ministry and the work and the things that we're doing, um, you can also go to our website is thejewishroad.com. We have all the social media Instagram and Facebook and all those fun things. And uh, you can find us there at the Jewish road as well. So thank you for listening. Um, Our hearts are with you. Our hearts are in the Middle East and uh, we are praying uh, for peace uh, for our people. We say Sha'alu, Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.